0: It's there you'll find connection, and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me, whether this is your first episode or your 60th, because that is the episode that we are on today. And it's interesting thinking about that because, you know, for the first maybe 25 to 30, I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to share. And as I started getting closer to using up all my original ideas, I was like, am I really going to be able to keep two episodes a week going? <laughs> and I just feel like I have continued to get deposits each each week, whether it's feedback or questions I'm getting from people or honestly just things that I'm living out in my own life and that I'm thinking this is probably going to be helpful for somebody else. So I hope that you found that. Today I want to dive into a topic that is probably going to challenge you a little bit, especially if you are a therapist, but also maybe if you've really heavily relied on self-regulation programs. And I'm going to thoroughly explain... All of it, and at the end, kind of come back to how we can actually implement self regulation programs, I think, in a more effective way. So, really, what I want to talk about is the disconnect with self regulation programs. I think that, at least in my experience, the large majority of expectation for a self regulation program is that it's going to teach our children how to regulate themselves. And the connection between the parenting style that I implement and teach, and also the OT brain that I have. Because if you don't know, I'm a pediatric OT, and sensory processing and self regulation when I was in the clinic was a huge part of the population that I served. And so, after learning all of this new parent training information that I did, I kind of wrestled with. Like, how do these work together? Because I know they do. And when you look at how our brain is actually structured, it is in a pyramid. And sensory processing is at the base. And that is just a foundational skill for well, not even necessarily a skill, but a foundation for the rest of our brain development. And so I know that that's not something that we can completely negate. But I also was like, well, how do we figure it into this connection parenting? Because there are not that many, I mean, I don't really know any, (laughs) I haven't done a lot of research into it, but I don't know, I'm guessing there's not many OTs that also have this connection parent training. And there's also not a lot of connection parent coaches who have an OT background And I have both. And so I feel like this is a really important topic to dive into and one that I've really been gaining clarity on over the last couple of days. And so first I just want to talk a little bit about sensory processing disorder because I think as we become more aware of, you know, seeking behaviors and, you know, kids are moving less and they're on devices more, there's a lot more of this sensory seeking that we might see or sensitivities that we might come across. And I think it's becoming really common for people to think that their child has a sensory processing disorder when that's maybe not actually the case. And the thing I've also recognized is that based on parents' observations and the questions they answer, whether it's in a subjective questionnaire that's standardized, or just in conversation in an evaluation, I think it's easy to score in the sensory processing difference category because of how it evaluates the behaviors that, you know, the parent or provider is seeing. And I want to address that a little bit because... I think there's a lot more going on there that we need to be aware of. And so, before we jump into that, I, I want to talk about these two groups a little bit. So, there are obviously people who have sensory processing disorder. 100%. I have worked with kids with that. There's no doubt um, whether that child has that as a standalone, whether there's other diagnoses, whether they're you know part of the NICU, like extreme prematurity. That could also be um, a population where I've seen it a lot. But then there is also this other group. And I think this other group that shows some of these seeking behaviors or sensitivities is because they're actually just really dysregulated and not in a sensory processing disorder way. And I think part of that stems from how we were created. And what I mean by that is that we are all sensory beings. You've probably not even thought about it because your body does this naturally. So for example, if you are driving in a car, it's late at night, it's dark outside and you're tired and you start to fall asleep a little bit. What I want you to think about, what do you do to keep yourself awake? Just think about that for a second you probably turn up the radio which is an auditory input you might turn up the air conditioning or roll down the window just depending on what season and where you are that is a tactile input so as the air is touching you the temperature the rate at which it's blowing on you, those are all sensory things that your body is utilizing to keep you functioning at an appropriate, optimal level so that you can stay awake to make it to where you're going. So I think this is really what we're seeing when we're seeing kids who are dysregulated, not those who truly have sensory processing disorder. That's different. But I think what we're really observing here is that the child is seeking out something, like they are, or they're maybe feeling extra sensitive to something. But I also want to bring you to the um, realization that, have you ever been feeling stressed and overwhelmed and your child is singing really loudly and you just can't take it? On a questionnaire... That could be considered an auditory sensitivity. However, if you factor in the fact that most of the time, that loud singing doesn't bother you, most of the time, a large majority of the time, you can handle lots of noise. However, put yourself in that overwhelmed state where you are dysregulated and that becomes a sensitivity. So you might seek out a way to quiet that noise I don't think this means that there's a sensory processing disorder. I think this is our body's natural, innate way to understand that we need something, right? We're overwhelmed. We need to get ourselves back regulated so we can function and do what we need to. And so our bodies are going to seek things out to help us with that. And I think oftentimes what we're seeing is our kids' inefficient inefficient or ineffective ways of doing that, you know? And part of that is from experience and, and the cognitive ability. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that we don't even, we're not even aware. Like, have you ever been sitting in a meeting and you were twisting your chair back and forth or tapping your foot up and down or you put some gum in? Those are all sensory things that you are doing because your body has learned over time, when I do this, it helps me to stay awake. Or when I do this, it helps me to calm my anxious feelings. Sometimes I think our kids just haven't bridged the gap between finding that appropriate strategy and also if there is a lot of disconnection, or parents having trouble managing their own triggers, I think this makes it even more difficult. So if you are wondering like, which is my child, sensory processing disorder versus really dysregulated, disconnected, I want you to just take inventory of a couple things. If your child has a true sensory processing disorder, It is going to impact them in every environment. So sometimes you will see that, you know, a child might show these things at home, but never when they're out, you know, maybe not never at school. And if a child has true sensory processing disorder, that will likely not be possible to go an entire day at school and not have any. Of those challenges when it's presented to them, you know, frequently throughout the day. It is also something that is going to be impacting their daily functioning in an intense way and not just like they don't want to do it so they're having a tantrum about it. It is like they physically literally can't do it because of something that's truly impacting their brain at a deep level So, for the large majority of you, it's probably a lot of your child is just really dysregulated and disconnected. So, now that we got that cleared up, hopefully that makes sense, what I want to focus more on is the self-regulation programs because while there are sensory strategies obviously implemented for kids who come to OT with dysregulation... I think that there is a missing component in in there. And you may have had some experience with self-regulation programs, so whether you've had a child in OT or in school, like a lot of times schools I've seen more recently, they are working on implementing it within the classroom and i don't think there's anything wrong with the self-regulation programs i think they can be a very helpful tool but i think we have to understand their place and the other components that are going to be impacted that we need to also focus on so i want to just give you an example um there was a child that i saw who was only four and this is extremely early for the kind of awareness that she had. Oftentimes, at this age, it is more about teaching the parent how to be implementing things, and actually, they're mostly doing it. But I had this four year old, and she was very aware. And she would often, you know, we did the self-regulation program. She knew the zones. She knew all the strategies. We went through each sensory system and talked about different things she could do. And she would come and she would tell me, oh, yeah, I was red a couple days ago and, you know, at this place because of this. And then I hit my mom. Like, she would spell out exactly everything that happened and what she did yet nothing ever changed. She never came and told me, oh yeah, I was red and I took deep breaths or, oh yeah, I was red and I asked my mom for some gum or something. Even though she clearly could understand and identify, like if you are in the red zone (laughs) And you are in the middle of being dysregulated and you can recognize it. That is extremely challenging for most children, especially four-year-olds. And so I know that she had the knowledge of it, but she couldn't implement it in real time. And the missing link here, in my opinion, is connection. If you have listened to any other podcast before, I have talked about how connection is vital children and people, really. Like if you think about the COVID situation and how mental health issues skyrocketed, it's because people weren't connecting. They weren't able to leave their homes. They weren't able to see people or maybe talk with them as regularly. That connection that is vital to our existence was missing. And if you take that and those statistics and you think about a child who is disconnected from their safe people, their parents, their caregivers, whoever that is for them, think about that response. Think about how intense it was for, you know, us like quote unquote normal adults, how challenging it was to be disconnected, how like how we kind of suffered there and what we battled. And then put that in the shoes of your child and how much they can be suffering when they are disconnected. And especially because they don't often have the words to describe what they're feeling or maybe even understand what's actually happening. And therefore, they're responding in ways that seem unreasonable because they literally can't think. When kids are disconnected, and even us when we're triggered our brains, the process that happens in our brains makes that prefrontal cortex that processes and helps us with judgment and problem solving and reasoning becomes inaccessible. So yeah, their behavior is going to look not like we want it to. And the way that we can help in those instances and the way that we can merge connection and self-regulation programs, at least how I see it, is that first, you need to be implementing connection strategies consistently. And then second, you need to learn to manage your own triggers. Because the truth of the matter is, is that your child can go to school or therapy and learn all the strategies and be taught everything and know what they are, but they will lack implementation if you do not know how to manage your triggers. Because kids first learn through modeling through co-regulation, which means they're going to do what you do when you're triggered. And that can be a really hard thing to look at and it can feel really convicting and there's no shame in it because most people don't know that because let's be honest, that's not common knowledge. <laughs> so you really need to take a good hard look at how are you responding to your child's behavior or responds to other people. Like, what is it that you do when you are upset? Are you flying off the handles and yelling? Are you throwing stuff? Do you become, you know, a little bit more aggressive? Like, not, not necessarily like you're hitting people, but maybe you're throwing things around or you're, you know, moving kids more sternly out of the way. If that does not change, if you don't come to a place where you can actually manage your triggers in a more calm way, your child is going to have a much harder time doing that, right? So the way I see it is that if you can really work on implementing connection strategies, if you can learn to manage your triggers, this is going to help your child massively stop from transitioning from a regulated state to the fight, flight, or freeze almost immediately. When they are feeling more connected and things start to upset them, there is more time in between that transition. And that is where I see the implementation of these self-regulation programs or calming strategies to be most beneficial. Because that means that your child is consistently having the opportunity to share their feelings and emotions and not bottle them up. It means that you've done the work to regulate your own feelings so that you can help support them. It means that they are understanding emotions a little bit better, but then it also means that you can kind of cue them whether they know the strategies or you have pictures of them or you are helping to guide them to implement them, you have that time now because it's not going from zero to a hundred. It's maybe going from zero to 10 or zero to 30 even. And you have that opportunity to give a cue or hand them something and then they can be implementing it and learning, okay, I was starting to feel really upset and then I was playing with some Play-Doh and that just really helped to calm my body back down. So you can help be making connections by utilizing these strategies with the self-regulation program after you have already done the work to manage your own triggers and you're implementing connection strategies consistently. If those things are not done first, you can drill the self-regulation program over and over into your child, but there's always going to be a missing link. You might see a little bit of improvement, but maybe that's because you have started to become more aware. Okay, my child's getting upset. That means they're in the red zone. And that means we need to try to do this. Versus when that was happening before and you didn't have as much awareness, maybe when that happened, you lost your marbles and you couldn't stay calm. But now it's almost giving you that time lapse to say, okay, I I understand what's going on here now and I need to help them implement this. And so I really think that's where a lot of the progress is coming. But if you really fully want to help your child learn to regulate, first learn to manage your triggers and also consistently implementing connection strategies where it's not going to stick because it doesn't do any good for your child to be able to recite things if they can't implement it in real time, right? Right. So I hope that you were able to follow that. I know that's challenging a lot of, a lot of um, what's currently out there, but I'm okay with that because I have done the due diligence and I have experienced both sides, and I um, think back to a lot of kids that I saw and understand like I wish that I would have known this then because I think this would have made all the difference for parents and if you are a parent listening that brings your child to a therapist I just want you to know if you don't already (laughs) that um we love your children we care for them we think about them after work after the workday is done we don't just close up their folder and like oh whatever. We'll see what happens next week. We are thinking about them. When we see something, we think that might help them. They come to our minds. Um, they are just truly supported and I hope that you feel that. Um, that's kind of a tangent, but don't ever hesitate to reach out to an OT if you are needing some support. um, I think that's all I got for you. So if you're really struggling with learning to manage your triggers, if you listen to all this and you're like, crap, this means that I have to do the work. I feel you because when I sought out this style of parenting, I did not think it would be more about me than my child. I was like, what can I find to help fix my child's behavior? And really, it's about how can we change our own patterning in order to best support our kids through their big feelings and change some of that patterning that has been ingrained. And that is a really difficult process, but I have come out on the other side and I have been in the place of extreme overwhelm, of losing my mind, of being so weary and exhausted and saying things that it was like that picture where things are coming out of your mouth and you just want to shove them back in, but you can't. And they're just like coming out. And you know, there'd be times where I was saying things and I'm just like, I know I shouldn't be saying this. I know why this is happening to him. And I know I'm feeling just as overwhelmed as he is. And look how I want to react. And he's younger, like way younger than me. And, but, but I couldn't, I I still couldn't manage to, keep my cool and so I've been there I have gone through the steps well I have figured out my own steps and path to get to a place where you know what honestly this last week I was sitting through things that so I'm just like I cannot believe how much peace I had during that like things that used to send me off the wall like not even in a like yelling sort of way but just in an inside so overwhelmed, like didn't know how I was going to make it through sort of feeling. And so if you are there, I want you to know that there is, Lots of things that you can do, and I have a free audio resource for you that I want you to dive into. I created a Spotify playlist of the episodes that I have talked about, managing your triggers. So check out those two free resources, and if there's something that you are, if, if you know, it's helping, but you're like, I still need more, I just want you to know that I am creating a full-on course um, called Chaos to Calm, and it is going to take you step-by-step through how you can actually learn to be peaceful in the tantrums and when you couldn't before. And I also wanted to let you know, um, I wasn't planning on sharing this. I haven't shared this really anywhere yet, but for the first 10 people, I'm going to be doing a pre-launch at the end of this month. So I think it's October 24th through the 28th. And the first 10 people that choose to buy the course are going to get it at 50% off. So if you are like, I've listened, I've done some of the work and I've seen some results, but I'm not satisfied yet. I want you to be on the lookout for that. Sign up for the Chaos to Calm waitlist because I will also send out an email there and be one of the first ones and you're going to get a 50% off code. And, um, I just, I really want to bless you with that. I've been working hard at it because I know that this is the most difficult thing for m- majority of the people I talk to. And I just want to help you achieve that peace because, you know, life is chaotic enough. There's so many things that we have to do that we have to bring our kids to that, you know, we're gone at work and then we're bouncing around and we're making meals and we're cleaning up and that Extra time that we have, that little time that we have, should not be spent feeling overwhelmed and stressed out by your child. It should be spent having connection and enjoyment and joy. And so I really, really, really want to help you with that. So, those are some options. If you're like, I can't wait for the course, I need help right now, you also have the opportunity to sign up for um, the Behavior Blueprint. That is the one on one coaching that I do. It is completely tailored to you and customized to what you need. There are two different plans a short term and a longer term one. Plus, you get Voxer access in between. And when I say that, I mean that I am in it with you. Like, obviously, I have some set times. Like, I'm not going to be answering you at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> um, but I really, really want to partner with you so that you can get the questions answered and implement it in real time. So there is a lot of opportunity for conversation and that's where I focus my time. That is where my time goes first and then my time goes to other things, you know, when I'm when I'm working. So if you really want some of that one-on-one help, I would Be So honored to help you on that journey and you can find all those links in the show notes or if you have questions You can book a discovery call. You can message me I would just love to be of support in any way that I can on this journey because I know that it is hard But I also know that in the hard We can really come out transformed as people And we can be connected and have so much joy at the same time, and I want that for you. So, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> I feel so passionate about it, and I want you to know my heart because it is for you and your child, and the relationship there, and the time you have with them. And I want it to be fruitful and not stressed. So, anyways. All of the links you can find in the show notes, or you can reach out to me and I would be happy to just guide you in any way that I can or support you in another way if there's <laughs> if there's anything else I can help you with. So with that, I will talk to you guys later. Real quick before you go, if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show, I'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at Apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone